Hello, listeners. I'm Melissa Roach with Below the Radar, a knowledge democracy podcast. Below the Radar is created by SFU's Van City Office of Community Engagement and is recorded on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. On this episode of Below the Radar, we talk cooperative economics with Elvi Del Bianco of Van City Credit Union. Our host, Am Johal, asks Elvi about what opportunities co-ops present for BC and Vancouver as an economic model rooted in solidarity and serving members. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Below the Radar. We're here with Elvi Del Bianco this week to talk about co-ops. Welcome, Elvi. Hi, Am. Nice to be here. Elvi, you've been working at Van City for a number of years and out in the community on cooperatives, cooperative development with the BC Co-op Association and uh, others. But I met you during a time when I actually had a chance to go to the Bologna program that Van City has been uh, involved in with uh, courses at the University of Bologna and also site visits at a number of co-ops. I wonder if you can maybe just begin by sharing your involvement with the Bologna program that Van City has been involved in a number of years. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. The Van City Emilia Romagna Cooperative Study Tour, better known as the Bologna Program uh, for the capital of Emilia Romagna, uh, dates back to 2002 when uh, a then former board member of Van City, Bob Williams, was working on what was uh, the conception for Van City Capital Corporation which was originally viewed, he saw it as a, a regional development bank. And colleagues were saying, well, if you're going to do, th- if you're thinking about it at that kind of level, if you're thinking about this kind of broader kind of regional kind of focus, you should really look at what they're doing in Emilia-Romagna in terms of local economic development through cooperatives. And so um, was nosing around, found that John Rustakis, who was then the executive director of the BC Cooperative Association, was doing the same. And they hit upon this idea of creating this study tour to look at what they're doing in Emilia-Romagna, to expose British Columbians and others to that, and then to try and bring that learning back here and to try and implement it here. Why Emilia-Romagna? It's probably the most significant cooperative economy on earth. I mean, some people will argue that Mondragon is the more pure kind of expression of the model, and that might be true. Emilia-Romagna is different, uh, is very decentralized. It's part of a pluralistic economy. It's not strictly cooperatives. There is also um, corporate entities, uh, and, you know, not-for-profit societies, of course, cooperatives, in fact, only make up a relatively small portion of the number of businesses there, but they employ 15% of the population and account for something like 20 to 25% of the GDP. The incidence of relative poverty is amongst the lowest in Italy. Economic participation by men and women is amongst the highest in Italy. The distribution of income is amongst the flattest, if you look at the, the curve in Italy. Uh, political participation is amongst the highest. Um, and sociologists uh, like Putnam and Granovetter had looked at, uh, looking at the Italian context, say that social capital is the highest in Emilia-Romagna, or precisely second highest. The two regions in Italy that have the highest levels of social capital are Emilia-Romagna and Trento, uh, Trentino Alto Adige, which are both the big cooperative heartlands. And I don't think this is a mistake. This is a, this is a society where people have an opportunity to actively participate in the democ- democracy in the marketplace. 
And it has all these kinds of spillover benefits in terms of the way people are engaged and feel that they have an influence over what's happening in their communities and the way that resources come to them. So they have higher levels of income and uh, higher levels of democracy and participation. That's what we want. And that's what, that's what Bob wanted for, for, and, and John wanted for the, for British Columbia. And so the program was started in 2002 in order for people to, to participate and experience in that. The program went through all kinds of changes. It was generally open to the public. That changed in 2009 when it became focused on Van City staff. And I think that that's had a transformative impact on our organization because previously people would come back, people like yourself would come back from Italy and get all jazzed up and then sort of go off and do your own thing. And now we came back and we're all within the same organization. And I think it really helped us uh, and it continues to help us to understand our role uh, as a cooperative, our identity as a cooperative, as a member serving organization that goes to market with uh, goods and services that are reflective of our members' needs. And given our scale and impact, that this is an opportunity for us to have uh, uh, an impact on our own local cooperative economy. I know when I went in 2007, at that time, there was a week at SFU that happened and had a chance to take uh, classes with uh, academics and intellectuals around the cooperative economy, including Stefano Zamagni, uh, Pierluigi Sacco, and then to be at University of Bologna and to do the site visits as well. And to me, it was it was incredibly transformative to see uh, these ideas put into practice. And what was you know a really relevant point that was made by those teachers in the in the class and also in seeing the site visits as well is that what made the region of Bologna more interesting as an example to BC than say state-led experiments in a socialist economy like Cuba or Venezuela or Bolivia was that it in a granular way could be much more possible and that the relationship uh, between cooperative or more socialist aspects of attempting to um, have uh, that type of a social economy had to interact with the market economy. And so uh, the parts of innovation continue to exist uh, within those economies. And that was a, a point that was debated back and forth uh, within the classroom, but seeing uh, people on the ground doing that work and the way that it had affected the actual uh, culture of the city and the region itself, you know, here maybe uh, there'd be uh, parts of Quebec or something like that that would have some similarities that are built around the Quebecois nation and those types of things that have, uh, you know, there's a there's a backside to that that can actually obviously have a critique to it as well. Um, but in terms of the work that you guys have done, what for you as someone who's been uh, on that trip as a translator and, and working through it for well over a, a decade, what have you seen besides the transformation inside Van City? But in terms of how you look at the economy of Vancouver and British Columbia, in terms of what changes can happen here, right about Quebec first, if I might, I, I agree. I mean, Quebec. There's some nine thousand cooperatives in Canada. About a third of those are in Quebec. Quebec is uh, Canada's Emilia Romagna in many respects, and they they they've applied many of the same kinds of supports in order to realize that, uh, to realize a stronger cooperative economy in in that context. Uh, in terms of, you know, what what's the possible application here in BC, in Vancouver? What's really powerful about and and what sorry, I need to step back. There's a whole bunch, there's a whole bunch of stuff in, in, in your statement, in your question. Um, and it's Stefano who talks about um the production of goods. Right. 
the 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 market economy is is a excellent place for the production of private goods, consumable goods. There's a role for the public authority in producing public goods, goods that, from which everybody can benefit. Roads, parks, uh, community centers, these sorts of things. What I think a key role for the for the cooperative economy is the production of civic goods or social goods, where communities of interest come together and create opportunities through these legal entities to produce the things that they need as, as specific groups of people. And this is what makes, I think, that model really kind of interesting. It's a self-help model. Groups of people come together and communities of interest come together. They have a common need and the co-op becomes the way of articulating that need. It could lean much more economic. It could lean a little bit more social, but there's generally a, a blended kind of return on these kinds of things. In a uh, BC context, I mean, I think in generally in North America, we, you know, we look at, you know, there's, there's the market and its production of goods and the public and its production of goods. And these two things are in battle with each other. And generally in the, in, in more recent years, it's the market that's kind of winning out and providing goods even beyond that. Right now we're re relying more and more on the market to provide public goods, which I think is really kind of problematic. Um, the the opportunity for civil society sort of to respond and to sort of to, to meet its needs. It, this is a model in order to do that. And it's one that I think we need to strengthen in a BC context. So what could that look like? We're an economy of small and medium sized enterprises, right? Just like they are in Amelia Romagna, right? And Small is good. Uh, small is, you know, nimble. Small is uh, flexible, uh, quick to respond to changes in the, in the economy, but also small means you don't have access to the kind of infrastructure you need to, achieve, to reach a bigger market, to market your goods and do these kinds of things. Cooperatives of small businesses or consortia, as they would call them in Italy, is a, a real interesting opportunity for small businesses to retain their kind of individual ownership and their, their flexibility, but to be working in concert with others in order to achieve uh, common goals, right? Uh, an example of that, uh, in uh, East Vancouver, uh, not far from uh, where I live, there is a whole bunch of small craft breweries, well, not small, some of them are quite large, craft breweries and distilleries. They formed the cooperative in order to be able to market themselves as a group. So the Yeast Van Brewery District Cooperative is now a thing to do that, right? There's also possibilities around worker co-op succession of existing businesses, right? The, the silver tsunami of uh, baby boomers who are going to retire now and uh, the small businesses that they've created and have served them very well, they may not have somebody to sell that business to. They may not have a child to, to gift that business to. And we're running the risk of losing all those employment opportunities. I think we think there's good opportunities to turn those into, uh, to sell the business to the, to the employees and to turn those into worker cooperatives, right? The delivery of health and social services. This is something that is done quite extensively in Emilia Romagna through, uh, social cooperatives. We've, we've not even come anywhere near to touching to what those kinds of possibilities could be, right? Daycare services, medical clinics, uh, clinics of, uh, healthcare, uh, supplement, complementary professionals like massage and, and physiotherapy and all these, there's, there's a tremendous range of opportunities for, for delivering these kinds of things and doing it in a way that eliminates the profit motivation and allows those business to be competitive within the marketplace. 
Mm-hmm. Now, you know, similarly in um, Argentina, when they had an economics crisis, uh, there was a lot of uh, opportunities for worker-run co-ops that came into place. And partly it had to do with succession, partly had to do with uh, absentee ownership. Uh, and although it didn't sort of overtake the economy overall, there's probably two, 300, 400 examples of that where it did work out everything from doggy biscuit bakeries to uh, other types of things, shoe manufacturers, those types of things. I've had an opportunity to visit a, a couple in the suburbs of, uh, of uh, Buenos Aires. Uh, I'm just wondering, in the process of cooperatives uh, forming, there's clearly a regulatory environment that functions at the federal and provincial government and even in in city policies, for example. And uh, I'm wondering through the BC Co-op Association and others, you know, what are the kind of regulatory hiccups that get in the way of cooperative uh, development? Because it still, you know, functions as uh, under an act and uh, a legal entity that's created that's not a nonprofit or a business. But uh, are there improvements to the regulatory environment that uh, that you guys have been advocating for that would actually enhance or incentivize this form of uh, entity that has clear, you know, a relationship to uh, solidarity and equity that other forms of organization don't? This is a great question. Um, first and foremost, and I mentioned this earlier, that this is a self-help model, right? This is about groups of people coming together and doing it for themselves. And that's that'll always remain, I think, at the heart of what this model is about irrespective of, you know, support or challenges from the regulatory environment. But there's a lot there that that could be uh, put in place in order to support. In Italy, most most of what happens in terms of, in the cooperative sector is managed by the co-op sector itself. But they do have uh, some advantages that we don't have. First of all, cooperation is embedded in their constitution, right? It's a recognition that this is a, a unique model that provides social and economic benefits, right? We don't have anything like that. They also have uh, 3% of all net profits of co-ops go into a fund to support new co-op creation. That is a legal requirement in, in Italy, right? And that's created vast sums of capital that are u- being used to further grow the cooperative sector, right? Uh, in British Columbia... Uh, co-ops, fall, most co-ops fall under the Cooperative Associations Act, which is actually a pretty good piece of legislation. It's in, uh, much more flexible than what we see in other provinces. In BC, you can have a co-op of individuals, or you can have a co-op of legal persons, or you can have a co-op of both. They can be for-profit or not-for-profit, which is what we call a community service designation, right? And and that's good. It's a good place to start. But what we do, a particular challenge that we have. And we articulated this, we being a number of us from the cooperative movement, including representatives of the BC Cooperative Association uh, and Van City and a number of the large and small co-ops, is a change to the Securities Act more than the Cooperative Associations Act. There is um, a provision allowing for investment shares for people to invest outside, non-members of a cooperative to invest in a cooperative. That is really tightly regulated. If that share for unaccredited investors goes above $5,000, you trigger all kinds of securities regulations. This is really, I mean, it's a really interesting kind of instrument that could be used by co-ops to mass capital, but um, the securities regulations are so tight that that's really difficult to do that. And so, although a number number of community investment cooperatives have been created, and these are vehicles to 
to serve as an alternative to mutual funds where you invest your retirement savings into this fund and it goes who knows where it goes, right? There, people have been working on these community investment co-ops in order to keep some of that investment local, right? RSP, RSP eligible and all that kind of stuff. So long as it sticks within this tight framework. So we've argued that that needs to be loosened up a little bit. There has not been a single case that we know of, of fraud involving a cooperative uh, in these kinds of investment vehicles in North America for forever. So that's the kind of thing probably we would like to see kind of loosened up to allow communities to sort of benefit from these, these kinds of activities. Other than that, I think it's probably more regulatory that we need uh, or, or just some, some basic supports to sort of help us help ourselves. We're not entirely sure exactly how many co-ops there are in British Columbia. Getting access to the data has been, has been uh, limited. I believe that's changing now. So that would be a good thing to sort of allow us to sort of get a better picture of, of where co-ops are and what kind of work they're doing, what kind of contributions that they're making to the local economy and to see what kind of struggles they have. And this would allow us to sort of to be clearer about requesting the kinds of changes that we need in order to support those kinds of organizations. Now, in the kind of precarious nature of uh, work that we have today in terms of automation, in terms of, of uh, you know, app-based type forms of, of labor, be it, uh, you know, Uber or Foodora, food delivery, like all of these types of things uh, that have uh, essentially made things perhaps more convenient from a consumer point of view, but have created this string of uh, incredibly precarious, uh, low-wage jobs uh, where uh, people are in vulnerable situations from an employment point of view. Uh, what are the opportunities for co-ops to kind of intervene in, in, in these types of, you know, mass changes that are happening, which are resulting in job displacement for a certain group of people in creating a kind of uh, employment class where uh, uh, people are on the peripheries and margins? Yeah. What those kinds of responses look like in the co-op world will vary depending on the kind of people that are involved. At the level of what we call the, the solopreneur, the independent consultant or business person, right? We see co-ops forming to support that group. A particularly significant one in Europe is called SMART, SMART EU, where you, you're operating as an independent consultant or business person, but your membership in the co-op gives you access to debt collection, right? So you don't have to go after your clients that are not, um, you know, have, are a little slow to pay up. Extended medical benefits, a capital pool that you can access in order to even out your revenue generation over the course of the year, these sorts of things. We've been seeing that happening locally too. There's a number of people that are out there that are choosing amongst those that are choosing to work as independents are looking at forming co-ops now because while well, being independent allows you to set your own hours and, you know, to have, you know, the flexibility that you might need, there are all kinds of downsides to that, including um, never ever being able to take a holiday because if your clients are relying on you, right? So some people now are, are and I'm working with a group that is doing exactly this, they're independent con consultants. But they want to form they want to form a cooperative in order to build up some redundancy within that system. So there are more fingerprints on files, allow people to have a better quality of life, but don't have to answer to somebody else other than themselves. 
right? So the best of all possible worlds. At the level of, you know, greater precarity in terms of gig economy stuff, right? The Ubers and Lyfts. I think there's tremendous kinds of opportunities that way. And by the time this goes to air, do we say air in podcast worlds? Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Okay, but this time goes to air, we'll, we hope to see a cooperative response to the introduction of Uber and Lyft in British Columbia and uh, a cooperative of women driving services, ride-hailing services for other women and seniors. So where the profit, the cooperative uh, would be a, a cooperative of the drivers or so workers cooperative, the profit motivation from this exercise has been eliminated, which allows for uh, better payment for the drivers for the services that they provide and to be doing so in a safe environment. And we've all heard the stories about, you know, the terrible assaults, sexual and otherwise, that are happening on through Uber and Lyft, right? So to be able to address that. So this is applying that model, but uh, in a way that serves better serves the, the needs of the people participating in that exercise. Right. And uh, as you see the sort of federal government and provincial government envi uh, environment um, here, where do you see the, the opportunities here in BC to grow uh, the sector uh, right now? Uh, what do you got? We, uh, Van City and the BC Cooperative Association run um, a, a co-op um, business model boot camp. We do this twice a year. Um, we take about 18 people. We encourage people to come in teams. So these are people that are that are actively working in the co-ops or exploring the co-op business model. And it's it's really phenomenal to see the kinds of people that come out to these come out to this boot camp. Agriculture. I'm, I'm just thinking of the last one: agriculture, web development, computer animation, uh, consulting services. These kinds of professional business services. On and on and on. Uh, food retail, right? And, and this and this has been the history in British Columbia, right? I mean, if you look at the prairies in Saskatchewan, naturally a lot of agricultural co-ops, right? But uh, in BC, I mean, we really are a province of regions, right? With very distinct kind of, uh, much more distinct kind of communities and, and needs. And so what we, we see everything, everything. And, and frankly, in this province, I think we have, a, we have a need for just about everything in terms of access to better, you know, to, to affordable and good quality food to that pays a, a decent a, a decent wage and so i think everything everything is possible here i mean and, and the need because we have so many needs there's so many different ways of sort of articulating that as a co-op Elvi, thank you so much for joining us on on below the radar my pleasure nice to talk to you thanks for tuning in to hear from our guest Elvi del bianco Head to the show notes to learn more about his work with Van City to grow BC's co-op sector. And keep up with us on Facebook at Below the Radar Pod and on Twitter at BTR underscore pod. We'll see you next time on Below the Radar. Thanks. Thanks.